0: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining "Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah, run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing.
1: Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Today we are dealing with a very sensitive and somewhat difficult subject. That is relationships that are marred by verbally abusive people. If you are currently in a circumstance where you are repeatedly subjected to this type of experience, I recommend that you seek professional and or medical support with a view to minimize your exposure to this experience. These podcasts, in particular, these past two podcasts and the upcoming podcasts are not intended to replace or diagnose uh, medical conditions or life-threatening circumstances. By all means, you should do your best to minimize or extricate yourself from a circumstance that could be potentially uh, life-threatening or uh, harmful. These are simply principles that are extracted from the Word of God and that uh, I've practiced uh, over the past few decades. And uh, this podcast, in particular, is for those who want to minister to those who may have been uh, bruised, if you will, by uh, people who may be somewhat uh, insensitive the way that they communicate, and what we are looking at is 1 Samuel 25, the first 35 verses, and this is uh, the encounter that uh, David had with Abigail, who was the wife of Nabal. So as a context, the circumstances are given uh, in 1 Samuel 25 that Nabal's shepherds and his flocks were protected by David and his small band of soldiers. Uh, Thereafter, Nabal would have his uh, sheep-shearing event uh, at Carmel when David sent representatives from his small army to solicit uh, Nabal's goodwill. And uh, Nabal responded to David's servants gruffly, uh, insulting them, which by extension he ultimately insulted David. Now David, having heard Nabal's response to his request for a little goodwill, perhaps a sheep or two, uh, he said to his soldiers, gird yourselves for a battle as they were setting out to avenge David's good name. And it's at this point that the encounter especially with Abigail, takes place. Uh, And we'll learn a lot about this very unique woman, a little bit about her person, her wisdom, her works, and and what what made her personality appealing. When we think of, of verbal abuse, we don't often associate that event as occurring among Christians, but sad to say it happens. And when someone uses their words to ridicule or dominate or assault or humiliate or degrade another person, this frequently has an impact to a person's self-esteem. Sadly, verbally abusive people enjoy maintaining that sort of power over others because most people will fear the verbal assault. And rightly so. However, what we are addressing today is the response that verbal abusive people have (laughs) on the bystander, per se. Uh, And again, assuming it is not life-threatening or psychologically harmful. But we will see that Nabal's response trickled down to David, and David took it personally. Took it personally. We'll also see Uh, one of uh, Abigail's household uh, has a a choice thing or two to say about her husband. And so we are at times exposed to the occasional verbally abusive person, sometimes in the home uh, or the workplace, as is the case with Nabal, or sometimes at church. It can be subtle, it can be in the form of sarcasm, stinging wit, passive-aggressive remarks and things of this nature. So uh, the previous podcast and this one really confronts the loss that we often experience as, as well as the guidance of the Spirit of God in responding to loss. We will find in Abigail's example valuable behaviors that enhances relationships, or moves another person in the path of fulfilling the will of God. As will be the case in David's experience, preventing him from executing vengeance on his own behalf rather than trusting the matter to the living God himself. And so what Abigail does becomes for us a template for the Christian applicable in a variety of interpersonal encounters. So the context, we are told uh, in verse 14, that one of the young men told Abigail, that is one of the young men in her household, how Nabal treated David's men. And he validated that that David and David's band of men were beneficial to them in offering uh, protection for the flock as well as their lives. And so here are the, these, uh, the, 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 there are three distinct phases, I think, that we pass through if we would be a tool in God's hand for good, for positively impacting relationships, and ministering to people who may be <laughs> the unlucky recipients of an abusive type. Response. And so these three areas are a preparation phase, an execution phase, and the appeal phase. So in in the preparation phase, uh, this is where we intentionally, by the grace of God, develop our character. Develop our character. In the execution phase, uh, we are striving to influence the will, the will of the person who has been uh, the victim, if you will. And lastly, the appeal, which is the ability to speak to core convictions, preparation, execution, and appeal. And so in in the preparation phase, this is where we, we, with intention, make an assessment of ourselves. And what we will find often is when we want to minister to other people, this is a burden, firstly, that we carry alone. We willingly bear the burden alone. Not only that, we must develop the capacity to be approachable. Approachable by anyone on both sides of the circumstance. And the last part of the the preparation phase of of character development is that that there is a great need for empathy. We must be empathetic people, uh, literally abundant in empathy. So being a, a, a willing burden bearer simply means this. And let's look at Abigail, for example. Abigail was a person Uh, who possessed a character such that she carried the burden of being married to a man who was insensitive in his dealings with people. And yet, simultaneously, she also became the primary point of contact for her entire household. As we learn in in verses 14 to 17, uh, Abigail was the primary influencer in that household and among the servants, and there's no hint of her ever complaining about her lot, but she willingly filled the role as well as uh, embraced the responsibilities that came from being the primary influencer for good. In fact, the scripture says that the young man said concerning Nabal and the results of his Gruff manner, that evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. And it, it's clear that Abigail be, uh, became the fulcrum upon which the entire household balanced itself, and she bore this burden alone. Secondly, Abigail was approachable. So add to the fact that she was a, you know, a burden bearer, she, she carried this responsibility alone. She was approachable in that she was married to a difficult man who obviously she had to be able to interact with him. And we would see later on that she did just that. She had access to his heart, to his ear. But she provided the same privilege to everyone in the household. And this servant evidently knew that this woman was approachable and wise to the extent that he could disclose to her his heart fully. And so in order for us to minister to people, we have to have a clear understanding of the circumstances that they are presenting to us, that we may be called upon to influence them. And we need to interact with those involved in such a manner that we make ourselves approachable to all and sundry. There should be the sense that we can be trusted to listen with objectivity. And so this will enable us to see the big picture and be in a better position to influence the outcome. We are, in effect, positioning ourselves to capture the cause and effect dynamic with greater clarity, with a view to identify, perhaps, pathways that we can mend the circumstances, mend the relationship breaches. As the servant said to her in verse 17, now therefore... Know and consider what you will do, for evil is determined against us. He knew she can be depended upon. She was approachable, and her uh, being approachable necessitated a high measure of objectivity, a sort of pausing, delaying the tendency to react, and to remain focused on capturing all the facts. She wasn't quick to defend her husband, I think, because she knew (laughs) what her husband was like. And she knew the effect that his conduct has had on the household. It is clear because the servant said to her that, for example, he railed on them. No surprise there. And the servant also said he's such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. No surprise there either. So in summary, I would encourage you, don't ever be caught defending the indefensible. (laughs) Don't be caught defending the indefensible. And then lastly, she was empathetic. Abigail just had a marvelous character in that a servant could speak candidly to this woman about her husband. And he did it in such a manner that it never engendered a defense on her part. She listened objectively. She listened with empathy in understanding clearly the scope of what was laid before her. I think she knew full well what this, you know, person and and, and the household have had to wrestle with in interacting with her husband. And it becomes a valuable lesson to every one of us. And that is listen through the circumstance in order to capture the macro view. Listen through it. As the servant said, he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. And he was, I'm certain, verbalizing the sentiments of perhaps everyone in that household. And so it is clear that this servant felt comfortable expressing a heartfelt view about this marital dynamic as well as the employment dynamic. Everyone was impacted by Nabel's behavior. And the fact that this servant could tell Abigail how he truly felt without a, a negative retort on her part clearly displays the level of empathy she possessed. And so I, I say to you, in in, in looking at the uh, this early phase of of character development, you know, preparation, preparation. Okay, we we carry the burden alone. We we must be approachable, not just nice, but we must give the sense that we can be trusted to objectively and empathetically listen to people, hear them out. These are vital prerequisites if we are to be positioned in people's lives as those who can minister to others who have felt the sting of an abusive tongue. Now, mind you, we are not intent on changing the abuser. That's an act of God. But rather, we are intent on being a healing balm, a friendly presence affording respite. Then we come to uh, the second phase in our uh, interactions with people, particularly those who have been the recipients of, uh, you know, on the receiving end of an abusive tongue. Uh, a harsh manner. And that is the desire to influence the heart of hurting people. Influencing the heart, the choices of hurting people. And so we think of one commodity, good works. We often overlook the power and value of good works, but good works must be timed properly, and good works have embedded in them a certain measure of power, for lack of a better word. There's value in good works. So let's, let's deal with the timing aspect, and this is a key turning point of this entire narrative. As Abigail is now answering the statement that was presented to her in verse 17, now therefore know and consider what you will do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. In other words, this is not going to end well and you need to think about what you're going to do. This won't end well. And so my friends, I want you to pay particularly close attention to the sequence of events because the sequence tells us uh, the the, the secret, if you will. And I, I don't like to use those terms because the word of God is open to us who are indwelt by the spirit of God. So it's not a secret, but these are valuable instructions for the Christian. And so this woman's response was extraordinary in that we see the timing of good works towards David. She did not make as her primary priority speaking to him first. That was not the first course of action. The first course of action was to perform works. And when we think of good works, I want you to think of it as behaviors that sends one single message. And the message is, you matter. This is what good works speaks to the recipient, to the beneficiary. It simply says, you matter to me. You matter. Good works Always, and should, where possible, precede good words. Again, good works should, where possible, precede words. And we find it in verse 19, as well as in verse 27. She said to her servants, after she hastened to prepare a blessing, if you will, for David and his men, She said to the servant, go on before me, go before me. The works were going to be the first messenger, if you will. And so she prepared these things. Actually, she hasted, the scripture said, to prepare a wide variety of blessings to meet the need of David and David's most prized possession, his soldiers. Good works should, where possible, precede good words. And let's look at the value of good works. The value of good works. If you recall at the beginning of, uh, of the narrative of, of David trying to escape the hand of Saul in 1 Samuel uh, 22, it tells us in the second verse that everyone that was in debt And everyone that was embittered in their spirit collected around him, around David. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So he became (laughs) the captain of a bunch of needy men. And Abigail was going to minister to the man who ministered to others by giving to them leadership, direction. And surely her good works would have been essential for enabling David to meet their need as their captain. And so in verse 27, although I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, Abigail said to him, This blessing which your handmaid brought unto you, my Lord, let it be given to the young men that follow my Lord. So she is preparing, she, her work's, made David the beneficiary of one single message. You matter to me, and because you matter to me, those that matter to you also matter to me. And she prepared good works that would have ministered to him, but would have ministered to what and to whom he ministered to? The young men. And so good works when properly timed and accurately targeted to meet a specific need or set of needs, goes far to influencing the will, as is in this case, that his will would have been influenced for good and to the glory of God. My dear friends, Paul also uh, gave a similar exhortation to Titus to the church that this man was uh, leadership uh, exercising leadership over. And he was giving Titus instructions as regarding the saints and their priorities. And he says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, to put the saints in mind to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient to rule. And here it is, to be ready to do every good work. Every good work. And so the focus becomes for Christians to look around you to people who are hurting. And if we have, by the grace of God, developed our character, developed our character to the extent that we are willing to bear this burden to touch lives, that we have, by the work of the Spirit of God, made ourselves approachable, to everyone. And by God's grace and working, that we would have an empathetic spirit. An empathetic spirit. And possessing these qualities, people can come to us. We can minister to them. We can exercise good works. And he says, put them in mind to be subject to rulers, authorities, and so forth, but to be ready to do every, underline that, in your thinking Every good work. Make people the beneficiaries of that message. You matter to me. They were to be ready themselves, adequately equipped, fully armed with good works. And the objective is to target the benefit of another. Of another. And Paul also went on to say in the same chapter, I think it's in verse uh, 8, He says, the word is faithful, and I desire that you insist strenuously on these things, that they who have believed in God may take care to pay diligent attention to good works. Think about that. In various ways, we're exhorted not to be careful for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and so forth. But here, Paul flips the coin and says, If you're going to be careful about something, if you're going to put a lot of mental energy and effort into something, let it be this. Be diligent to pay attention to good works. And so of all the factors in the Christian life that necessitate focus and consistent execution, where we often fail, I must say, is that of showing good works. Paul urged Titus that those who have placed their faith in God may exercise care, diligent attention, and this is of the utmost priority because good works speaks to the heart of the recipient. Good works speaks to the heart of The recipient. I'll say it again because you probably didn't hear it the first two times. Good works speaks to the heart, H-E-A-R-T, of the recipient. It conveys to that person a value that words cannot adequately convey alone. But good works should be wedded to good words. And it sends that one message, you matter to me. Not only our good works ought to be executed with diligence, but it should be done in the spirit of humility. You see, people, you ask yourself, well, if someone knows they're humble, are they humble? My opinion is yes. You see, humility, when possessed, sends a clear message to the recipient. And that message is, I'm not your adversary, but rather, I'm a benefactor of the grace of God and the goodness of God. You see, if one is filled with the Spirit of God, if you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, then we will be conveying to people, I'm not your adversary. I am here to allow the Spirit of God to work in my life that you might experience God's grace and his goodness. Not my grace and goodness, but God's grace and goodness. And I'm enter into that interaction with you as a ready, willing instrument of God. But also you, your person, your personality, Will not interfere with that message because you've humbled yourself in such a manner that your spirit, your essence is enlarged. They see you for who you are. And what they see on the outside is minimized. And so, humility, when possessed, always enlarges the spirit and minimizes. The flesh. When you're busy serving people and conveying to them value that they matter to you, when that becomes your driving, loving ambition to bless them and to be a blessing to them, to cheer their hearts, to encourage them in this Christian way, you won't have time to be lording it over anyone. <laughs> Humility enlarges the spirit and minimizes the flesh. And so we come to the last part, the third part, the closing part, the moving of the will, <laughs> moving of the person's will. And you ask, well, what am I moving their will towards? Well, we'll, we'll learn that from Abigail's uh, 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 experience, if you will. And so I, I view this as the, the, the spirit filled life in action. <laughs> You know, people are really, Christians struggle with, you know, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And we'll learn. It's a very simple paradigm. Very simple. Oh, it's so simple. It's amazing. Okay? But what we're doing is that we need to be able to acknowledge what actually happened in the circumstance, as she did, and speak to that victim. I I don't want to use the term, but this person who may have come to you and find themselves uh, uh, bruised by another. And we need to be able to speak to that person's calling. We need to know that we are a source of blessing. And so we can, we can touch these people at the point of their priorities and in, in their occupation, their history. We need to have a holistic picture of who is in front of us. So let's, let's look at Abigail. Abigail acknowledged the obvious, the givens. So in, in, in her appeal to David, And in her objective to move his will, she placed herself at his feet. Now, in that culture, yes, there's there's a position of humility. But she understood from the cultural setting how to not get in the way of her own objective, And she says, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let the iniquity be. So there was a clear acknowledgement that the way the circumstances unfolded was an affront to David. And she personally took ownership of what, unfortunately, her husband did, not because she agreed with what her husband did, but because there was a greater cause and that is the life of her entire household, herself included, is at risk. But more importantly, as we will see, there was a greater good at stake for David's benefit. Remember what I said earlier, that we are sending a message. You matter to me. And so there was, a, there was something greater at stake for David. And she acknowledged the wrong that her husband did and called it iniquity. Not a moral flaw, like some people will excuse themselves. Well, we all make mistakes. No, my friends, when it comes to our interactions with people, it's not a mistake. We've just never suffered the consequences of bad behavior. And we are gruff and crude and insensitive with people. And then we excuse it by saying, I made a mistake. It's not a mistake. A mistake is when you should have turned left at the traffic light and you turned right. But if you continually turn right when you should have turned left, it is now a pattern of behavior. And so she didn't call it a moral flaw. She called it iniquity. A deliberate, callous response of her husband towards another man who did him good. Nabal essentially returned evil for Good. She then followed with the appeal to give her audience. And so now she's about to do something that requires skill, practice, and a clear understanding of a person's value, in this case, David. So I ask you when you're interacting with people, do you see them as children of God? If you're dealing with the saints, if you're dealing with people who may be pagan in their thinking and worldview. They are God's creation and potentially individuals that he might want to indwell and change and and renew and regenerate. And so we need to convey a certain value to people, which oftentimes we don't. And so she, she, she followed with an appeal to give her audience and she's about to do something, as I said, that requires a lot of skill and practice and certainly a clear understanding of David's value. And so it helps us to know when we can a little about the personal events the characteristics about the person that we have in front of us that we are appealing to for example in verse 25 it says and i want you to i want you to i want you to think about this because this next step might require some thought but however the the essence of it is simply this once you've evaluated the circumstance as it has transpired acknowledge that the outcome was not the best. It wasn't the will of God. In other words, call a wrong a wrong. It's not the will of God in the sense of achieving the good that should have been performed. You and I are in fact saying the way how this matter turned out was neither good for God nor good for you. It didn't glorify God. It didn't bless you. And if you, me, you and I, who are speaking to that person, had the ability or opportunity to influence it, we would have moved it in another direction. And so the other side of this component, or the second side of this coin, if you will, is the ability, now this is important, the ability to recognize God's hand moving through you to move this circumstance to a God-glorifying ending. And Abigail is about to influence David to add a whole new history, if I could put it that way, to what is currently in place. So how do we know that? Well, (laughs) I love this. The instrument of blessing, God at work, in me, in you, your purpose. She says this in verse 26 Seeing Jehovah has restrained you from coming to shed blood and from avenging yourselves with your own hands, now let your enemies and they that seek evil towards you be as Nabal. The beauty of this circumstance is that we don't see God, but all we see is Abigail. And it is clear that she is cognizant of being in the hand of God to create a whole new chapter in David's life in opposition to the bloodshed that would have occurred. My friends, what we are beholding is the Old Testament example of a spirit filled life. That's verse 26. She clearly has discernment in recognizing that God is using her to execute good in this man's life and much of this has little to do with any charismatic expression. Rather, it has to do with the intention, I repeat, the intention to fulfill the good that God intends for the recipient but also a submission on her part, of course, in being willing to be used and filled and directed by the Spirit of God to fulfill the Word of God in the life of the man or woman of God. There needs to be an intention to fulfill the good that God intends for the person you are speaking to. And on your part, a willing submission to be used and filled and directed by the Spirit of God to fulfill God's will in that person's life, their sanctification, their growth, their transformation into Christ-likeness. God wants to use you and me to be instruments of blessing, of good works, of goodwill, of of one message. You matter to me. You matter to God. And then she went on and spoke to David's priorities in the 27th to the 30th verse. And I love how she did this. Firstly, in in verse 27, she speaks to his purpose or the purpose of the blessing. Okay, these good works that she sent on, on these donkeys. She said, let it be given to the young men that follow my Lord. So, first and foremost, to David are the men that followed him. And now she made their good and their blessing important to her. They mattered. David matters to her, and they matter to her. Why? Because this is his stewardship, and she made his stewardship her stewardship. This woman is just amazing. And she spoke to his occupation. Look at what follows in verse 28. What she's saying to David is what you are doing, how you are spending your life makes a difference. She said to him that he's fighting the battles of Jehovah and that he's an innocent man. And I'm certain that touched David as to his current experience because Saul is chasing after David and David has done no wrong. And on two occasions, he had opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't. And he challenged Saul, why are you after me? I'm, I'm a flea on a dog. So when she speaks to what his current circumstance is, oh, this woman was wise. It was well known. But she took what obviously was well known to both Nabal and to Abigail. But she frames it in a way that says to him, you matter. What you do matters. You're not only fighting the the battles of of God, but you're an innocent man. And thirdly, she understood a little bit about his history, (laughs) what he did that made a difference. So she starts out with the blessing and blessing his men because they matter to him. And then she says to him, what you are doing makes a difference. You're fighting Jehovah's battles. You're going against the Philistines. You're putting your life at risk. That matters to us. That matters to me, to her. <laughs> and you're an innocent man. And then, thirdly, as I mentioned, okay, what he did, his history made a difference. Because she referred to it when she said concerning his enemies that they shall be slung out as out of the middle of a sling, which was a clear reference to his first major victory in uh, delivering Israel when he faced Goliath. This woman understood this man's purpose and his calling, both as an individual as well as for the nation. And she spoke to that calling. And this clearly resonated with David. And then lastly, she spoke to the future, what he will do that will make a difference. And that pertains to his walk with God and God's will for his life. And we find this in verse 30 and 31, when it says, And when Jehovah shall, this is what she's saying to David, when Jehovah shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and shall appoint you ruler over Israel, this, that is, this bloodshed that he was about to commit, this shall be no stumbling block to you, no offense of heart for my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has. Avenged himself. And in this last phase, what Abigail did was to reveal to David that if he took this course of action that he is about to, his character as touching the things that he loves, what he has labored to achieve, right down to his very faith and walk with God and the will of God for his life will have suffered an irremovable blot, irrevocable damage, if he avenges himself. His past, his present, and his future will be tainted immeasurably by this action. My friends, David's reaction to Abigail clearly indicates that she was masterful in applying all that she knew about David in a manner that speaks to his priorities, his convictions, his history, his life, his aspirations. David could only say to Abigail, blessed be Jehovah, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discernment. Blessed be you who has kept me this day from coming with bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hands. And so it became clear Jehovah sent Abigail, Jehovah prevented bloodshed by Abigail, Jehovah used Abigail to prevent David from usurping God's authority, Jehovah used Abigail to protect David from Jehovah's judgment in usurping divine authority in taking vengeance. Jehovah used Abigail to preserve David's history, his future, from being tarnished by a foolish, impulsive act, and clearly, clearly, Abigail's life was used for blessing and benefit. David became the beneficiary of her good works. And so I ask you this question, my friends, is there a New, example, a new Testament example of what Abigail did? Is there a mandate for the Christian? And the answer to that is yes. And we find it in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And he says to them, be you therefore imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love even as the Christ loved us and delivered himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. The spirit-filled life walks as the Lord Jesus did, seeking to live a life that becomes for God a sweet aroma, but for others A channel of blessing where they become the beneficiaries of our good works, as did the Lord Jesus. His life, a sweet aroma to God, but his sacrifice, delivering up himself for us. And so let our objective be that this spirit-filled life, this outgrowth of being filled with the Spirit, where I pass my days, seeking to live and walk in the Spirit in such a way that God is pleased and men are blessed. What are the obvious evidences of this life? Well, I will be able to reflect on my day. In fact, at the end of today, ask yourself as you reflect. Enumerate the number of people that have been blessed, helped, encouraged, cheered as you passed their way. This is a vital lesson that Abigail brings to us in ministering to those who have been on the receiving end of an abusive tongue, a harsh demeanor, an insensitive, sarcastic, whatever the, the, the characteristic be. We're not seeking to change the abusive, but we are endeavoring by the spirit and grace of God to minister to those affected by a harsh tongue. Father, help us today. To bring glory to your name, to be a sweet aroma in the way we live our lives, but above all else, that others may be benefited and helped and strengthened and encouraged
0: as we pass their way. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.